Now you can show your support for Inside MusicCast by making a donation at InsideMusicCast.com. Your donation will help us to continue producing future episodes of Inside MusicCast and keep Inside MusicCast radio streaming 24-7. You can also receive special Inside MusicCast merch, such as t-shirts, stickers, and coasters for your support at various levels. Find out more at InsideMusicCast.com. From all of us at Inside MusicCast, thank you for your support. Honing her musical skills while growing up on the East Coast, Deborah Holland found her way to Los Angeles in the late 70s in an attempt to break into the music business. A demo of two of her songs landed in the hands of Stuart Copeland and Stanley Clark, who were searching for a female vocalist to front their new band project, which became Animal Logic. She got the gig, which was a major stepping stone in propelling her career. After making two albums with Animal Logic, Deborah has since recorded and released several solo albums. She's a member of the folk supergroup The Refugees, a film scorer and educator, and in 2020, she released her latest EP titled Fine, Thank You. Recently, two new Animal Logic songs have been released, the first new music from the trio in over a decade. Here to talk to us about this new music and her career in music is Deborah Holland. Hey, Deborah, thanks for joining us today. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is... So great to have you on the show because, you know, I was thinking that the first time I heard your voice uh, was on a college radio station here in Indianapolis back in around 1990 or 91, probably 91. And they had this late night weekend rock show and they played music typically not aired, you know, on mainstream stations. And, uh-huh. and, yeah. and the song I heard that popped into my headphones that night was uh, this one particular night was Sometimes It Feels So Good. Uh-huh. And, I, and I had absolutely no – I'd never heard that before, and I absolutely mm-hmm. had no clue who that was. So I immediately <laughs> called the station to ask about the song and the band oh, and, and the DJ great. there. You know, he told me it was Animal Logic, and, and I just became hooked on that album. And then I, I found out about the first album too, which – Oh, that's so cool. That's something that I would do is call a radio station. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know – I mean, I'm, I, in addition to being a, you know, a participant in the music world, I'm I'm – I'm first and foremost a music fan, mm-hmm. you know, so that, yeah. that's, I love that story. That's you have great. to be. And, and, you know, back in the day, you know, during that time, in order to go find that album, which none of the, none of the, the uh, record stores I went to had it, I had to go to those, remember those big yellow catalogs at the end of the, the you know, the, the checkout desk, they were gigantic. They had like, <laughs> you know, 2000 pages on them and they were yellow and you could go through and you could see every single release. Yeah. I, I had to thumb through that to find the you know the the number for the album and give it to the guy and he special ordered it for me. So. <laughs> those are huge catalogs. I mean, those are huge catalogs like the yellow pages of records. You know. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. This was at your local record store. Yeah, just at a record yeah. store here locally. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. That's a great story. Well, like, you know, we've had Stuart Copeland on the show, and and today, obviously, we're going to, we're really going to focus on Animal Logic with you. And uh, Mm -hmm. what we'd like to do first is get to know you a little better, and and especially for our audience members who may not not be as familiar with uh, some of your backstory. And from what I understand, you grew up in New Jersey, and you performed in that area, including New York. And I I know that uh, you also attended Berkeley and Livingston College. So talk to us about growing up on the East Coast and, and the music that was inspiring and, and shaping your own musical sensibilities. Oh, wow. Okay. So my father was a, uh, a piano teacher and a composer, uh, not a successful composer, but, you know, definitely music was 
a huge part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And he was my first piano teacher until we started to argue, which, you know, <laughs> parents and kids will do. And um, so that was, I started off on piano. And then when I was around 12, I think my father had actually started learning how to play guitar himself. And um, I got a guitar and, and as soon as I learned three chords, I started writing songs. So mm. songwriting seems to have been my calling from, from the very beginning. Um, nice. And I never, that's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. You know, I, I was music. And um, yeah, I went to, uh, at the time I was graduating high school, there weren't many places where you could study music that wasn't classical. Uh, and I really didn't even know much about jazz, very little, uh, but went to Berkeley because that's a place that you could go to. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's funny now, Berkeley is not a jazz. I mean, it's, they still have jazz, but obviously they've branched out into sure. pretty much what I do. Yeah. But at the time it was it was jazz focused and I showed up there with, a, you know, guitar and a banjo and. I never really quite fit in, so I didn't make it there for very long. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I ended up at, uh, after lots of uh, adventures that, that didn't end well, uh, eventually I ended up at Livingston College, which was, is part of, was part of Rutgers. Now I think it's called the Mason Gross School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had a mentor there, um, ironically, a jazz pianist named Kenny Barron, mm-hmm. who's quite famous, and uh, he was really taken with my songs and really encouraged me. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after I graduated college, I was in New York for a short while, um, also lots of unhappy endings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then decided to move to LA, and that's kind of where my life began. Yeah, well, you know, part of the question too is I'm curious about you. you know, you said you showed up with a, a banjo and a, and a guitar, so I'm I'm curious what kind of what music was 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 like. Oh, right, okay, inspiring. So you. as a kid, you know, I was a, a top forty. Uh, you know, uh, clock radio glued to it. Uh-huh. So whatever was on the top 40. And right. then in my house, there was lots of classical music as well as uh, what you'd call um, folk music. So okay. Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, stuff like that. Yeah. So that was in my childhood. And then FM radio came about. So mm-hmm. that's really showing my age and that changed my life. Yeah. So early FM discoveries would have been, um, you know, Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Laura Nero, James Taylor, Bonnie Raitt, um, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And, and other things, too. I mean, Led Zeppelin, Jethro Tull, mm-hmm. uh, Jefferson Airplane, um, right, right. you know, kind of all over the map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. You know, we're Deborah. We're we're sort of familiar with your work with um, 
the refugees, of course, which came after Animal Logic. But um, th- let's talk about the period. You know, we know that you moved to L.A. in the in the in the late seventies. Um, so fill us in, if you could, on you know what what led for the big move. You know, what led you to the big move from the East Coast all the way to L.A. Sure. I mean, well, all the music, the the music that I, I also was a huge fan of. The Flying Burrito Brothers, so that kind of Southern California <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, country rock stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know. It seemed like pretty much everybody I liked was based out of L.A. Yeah. Um, I was a relationship was ending in New York. Uh, you know, it just seemed uh, time to try something new. So that's how I ended up in L.A. Um, and then for 10 years, I kind of kicked around. Uh, trying to either get a record deal or a publishing deal and just constantly got turned down and um, lost a lot of confidence. Okay. And I think what happened is I started writing and creating music that was a cross between what I wanted to do and what I thought record companies wanted, which of course made it be that it was nothing. It was bland you know, it was, it, it, it was nothing, you know, when you try and when you don't, when you're not authentic and you're, or, and, or you're not fully committed to selling out, <laughs> uh, you end up kind of nowhere. And that's yeah. sort of what happened. And then one day um, in 1987, mm-hmm. I decided I was done. I wasn't going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. I wasn't going to be famous. And I was going to go back to writing the kind of songs that I wanted to write from the heart. Yeah. And the first two songs I wrote were Spy in the House of Love and Firing Up the Sunset Gun. And I made little Mm -hmm. funky four-track demos of them, Uh uh, sent them to a publisher that I knew. And that's those are the songs that ended up in Stuart and Stanley's hands that got me the audition for Animal Logic and then consequently in the band. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, well, looking at some of your writing, because when you said, you know, enough of this stuff, I'm just going to go focus on my own, my own things, yeah. uh, my own style of writing, because, you know, you, you, you had something to say and, and, and to create, but, you know, look back right now where, where we are right now today. And you look back to your, your body of music over the years as a writer, as a musician, Mm-hmm. Uh, briefly describe to us a little bit your your the evolution of your own musical path. You know how is that? How do you see your music changing over the years, even as to now, or has it changed? Well, I, I would say since that moment, mm-hmm. there hasn't been a change. Uh, I, and the only thing I feel is I feel I've gotten a lot better as a lyricist. Yeah. Um, I'm singing a little differently than I sang back then, but once I was on the path of, Hey, I've had, I got my success because I decided to be authentically me. I've never changed that. That's, that's continued. I'm, I mean, yeah. I wrote a song two days ago. It still comes from this, that place, which is, yeah. <laughs> I guess I, you know, I write songs for myself. Mm-hmm. I, it's mm-hmm. really uh, what it comes down to and hope that somebody else will like them. Yeah. Um, genre wise, I feel I've, I'm all over the map and that has been, uh, probably not a great thing for me. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of held me back a little bit because I've never fit in one 
box yeah. and the way that the music, the music industry is oriented. It's a lot easier if you do fit in a box. Yeah. That's the, that's, that was the mindset from the early days of, of recording labels. Anyway, they sort of like wanted you, your sound, you know, the, your thing, yeah. that type of thing. So you're, you're yeah. spot on. Yeah. You know, just going back to what Eddie had mentioned a second ago, that period, you know, in the seventies or, or, you know, actually prior to moving to LA. So you, you yeah, I was just curious who who were some of the people, early, especially early on, that you met along the way that were instrumental in opening doors for you or providing you know invaluable advice about the business. No one. <laughs> really, really. Wow, that's okay. interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the only uh, except for Kenny Barron giving me confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, no one. I I was blind. You know, I knew yeah. nothing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I even went to L.A. I knew nobody. You know. <laughs> I slept on a couch when I first got there. Uh, so really, I mean, the, you, you, you couldn't get mentors back then in, in this kind of, a, in, in this world. Yeah. Not, not that I knew of, I, I certainly wouldn't have known how to get one. Yeah. So with that in mind and talking about how, you know, you wrote those first two songs and they landed in Stewart's lap and, and, and but tell me if you didn't know anyone and how, how did you find your way well, to those okay. guys? So that was a real fluke. There was a publisher uh, named Dan Howell and he worked at a publishing company called Criterion. They happened to be the administrator for the police catalog. It was a real fluky kind huh. of thing. Okay. And Dan had kind of taken an it, you know, a slight interest in me. Yeah. I don't know that anything would have happened, but, um, I, you know, I, I guess Stuart had asked him if he knew they wanted a female, if he knew any female singer songwriters, who knows? I don't know how many, <laughs> how many demo tapes Dan sent over to him. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, but mine was one of them. So you're right that, and that was a real fluke that that had happened. Okay. Interesting. Well, you know, just for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Animal Logic, we've been talking about the band and, and how you sort of found your way into the fold. Um, for those who don't know, the Animal Logic is, is of course, Deborah, and we've got Stuart Copeland uh, and Stanley Clark, mm-hmm. um, and that, that's the core of the band. And um, just walk us through the, the origin of, of the band. I mean, obviously, the demo tape. The, your songs landed in their lap, and yeah. and how did to tell us about like how it all came to be? Um, well, they were uh, you know they were looking for a female. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, Andy Summers was involved as well. Um, right, that's right, because mm-hmm. he so, toured with you, right? Originally, he, well, he did the first set of gigs that we did in Brazil, in Brazil before yeah. we were even Animal Logic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. I think Stuart may have played the demo tape for Miles Copeland. Uh, do you, I guess you probably know who Miles Copeland mm-hmm. yeah. is. He's Stuart's brother, right. but he also he managed the police and yep. he formed IRS records. Okay. And I think Miles Miles I think heard the demo and said, "We're going to be rich." Of course, that <laughs> that didn't quite happen. But anyway, so they um, they had auditions and. Um, I had a gig that night with a little duo that I had called Twang uh, with a friend of mine, Richard Goldman. And okay. that was kind of like a, I don't know, kind of an alt country kind of thing that the two of us were doing. Okay. So I went to the audition dressed in the clothes that I was going to wear to my 
twang gig that night, which was a um, dress to impress. It was a pink thrift store dress and cowboy boots. (laughs) (laughs) And I showed up to the audition, and there, you know, most there were other women there, completely eighties out spandex hair makeup, and that was not who I was. (laughs) And um, Dan had called me. Dan Hall had called me. I think the night before and said. Uh, you know, how would you like to go audition for a band that um, Stuart Copeland, Stanley Clark, and Andy Summers are putting together? And I said, yeah. sure, of course. Yeah. And, you know, I went into the audition and I had been playing in bands my whole life where I was the only woman. And I just decided to go in and treat them like they were any other guy musicians. And I did. I, I wasn't nervous. Uh-huh. And went in and they learned Spy in the House of Love. Uh, I think we also did um, a Bonnie Raitt song called Give It Up. It's just a blues song. I kind of just told them what the changes were and they did that. And I can't remember what else we worked on. I just remember those two songs. Mm -hmm. And. Three weeks later, I was in Brazil singing in front of 8,000 people. Oh, my gosh. And I probably the most I had ever sung for was maybe 30. (laughs) 30 people. Holy cow. So when you go to Brazil, you only have, technically, you're you're talking it was a three-week span. You've got two songs that you've written. What else did you got? What else were you playing? Did you work Uh, up any new material in between that time? we, We did Love Me Like a Man, which is a Bonnie Raitt song. Okay. We did stand so don't don't stand oh, so close yeah, to yeah. me. I learned that and I sang that. Uh, damn, what else did we do? I, I I've got the <laughs> somewhere. I must have taught them a few more of my songs. Yeah, that or was a really short concert. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some of it was instrumental. There was a bunch of uh, uh, some of Andy's instrumental songs. Yeah, um, uh, some of Stanley songs. Yeah. I can't remember what else. I must have taught them some more of my songs. I, okay. I think I did. <laughs> yeah. I, maybe I taught them Elijah. You know what? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to look that up. But it, definitely there was enough music for a whole co- for a whole concert. That's yeah. awesome. That's great. That's great. Well, you know, and there was a lot of improv. You know, there was yeah. a lot of improvisation. Yeah. And that's awesome. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm always curious about the early stages of a band and, and how it comes together, you know, from a conceptual standpoint. I mean, you have, uh-huh. in this case, you've got, you know, a rock and world drummer and all-around musician with Stuart, and you have yeah. one of the most prolific jazz bassists with Stanley Clark, and, yeah. of course, you, an incredibly versatile lead vocalist. So take us back to that first meeting between the three of you and how you developed the path that you take, like, in regard to your style. Well, I think... The next stage was I went over to England and Stuart and I um, kind of, wait a minute, so what, you know, I'm I'm lost as to the sequence of events. Mm -hmm. That's okay. uh, Because it's pre-computers. You know, now I have everything in my calendar. I would be able to give you exact dates. But (laughs) at some point, I went over there. And he had a, Stuart used to work on a Fairlight. Do you know what a Fairlight is? Of course, is? yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's this big, fancy, expensive computer, which now would be, you know, probably you can get it for $100. I don't even, I, yeah. <laughs> and he and I, we demoed, we put into the Fairlight all the songs that ended up on the first Animal Logic album. Okay. Wow. 
Um, So once we went into record, kind of the bones of what the arrangements were going to be were there. And they were all, they're pretty wacky. Like if you heard the original demo of Spy in the House of Love, Mm -hmm. uh, it became something quite different. And that was a lot through what Stewart ended up doing on the Fairlight. The second album, completely different from this, by the way. I'm sure we went to Brazil first. Mm-hmm. And then I must have gone to London to do the demos. And then it came time to record. Mm-hmm. And the day, uh, a couple of days before we were going to start to record, Andy dropped out. Yeah. So yeah. we had no guitar player. And uh, we started to talk about who would be another, you know, who could replace him. And uh-huh. someone suggested Joe Walsh. Mm-hmm. And Joe Walsh was called, and Joe Walsh. This is this is a apocryphal story, but I believe it's quite true. <laughs> Joe Walsh said, "I've been waiting my entire career for this call." Wow! And we got into the studio, and Joe Walsh never showed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Joe! Oh my gosh! So uh. I had a friend named Michael Thompson. We yeah. had been in a bar band together called Debbie and the Dynamics. Uh huh. Yeah. And we had the tracks to spy in the house of love and there was no guitar solo. And so I called Michael and I said, you know, get over here really quick. And he did. And I said, just do like a country song, a country solo on acid. And that became (laughs) the uh, guitar solo on spy in the house of love. Yeah. Yeah. And Michael ended up being the guitar player on the rest of the record. That's right. Uh, I've lost my. So, what were you asking? You wanted to know the process. No, no. I think you answered it yeah. because I was curious about. You know, like I said, you you're, you have such the three of you have such unique you know sort of signatures to I what know. you do, and I and the sound that you know obviously when you mix it all together, it, it came out to be what we all know is is Animal Logic. So, I was just curious about how you developed the path that you you took to to find this style. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. Came out of my songs. The first record came out of my songs, and then the uh, the demoing that Stuart and I did on his Fairlight, and then the rest of the style was the musicians that were handpicked to play on the record. Yeah. Um, you know, Indian violin, um, yeah, yeah. Freddie Hubbard. Um, you know, I mean, with those two guys, you kind of had your pick of whatever you wanted to do. Wow. Wow. Uh, so that had a lot to do with it was, um, you know, the, the other musicians. I mean, the, the, the sound is a lot, Michael, Michael Thompson, you know, mm-hmm. he has a really particular style of guitar playing. Right. So I would say that he had a lot to do with it. Um, well, what, what, am, what, an, what an amazing hybrid though, because, you know, I'm trying to think of a word with, you know, like Rick said, you know, three distinct styles of musicians and how they think and how they create music put together in a studio here. And and all of a sudden you're creating something totally new. So one of my questions is, yeah. you know, how did the three of you at the very beginning, how did you hit it off? Were there, was there any ever friction and uh, as you were t- taking time to adjust to each other at all? Um, I don't think there was friction. Mm-hmm. I just think I was in I was very green. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say there was friction. I mean, I think there were a couple of weird business issues, lawyery type things yeah. that happened mm-hmm. in the very beginning that may have caused something. But in general, no. 
um, no, I wouldn't say there was friction. Yeah, you know, well, I, there were some difficulties touring because I and I think a lot of people were expecting because it was Stuart Copeland and Stanley Clark that yeah. it was going to be some kind of experimental jazz kind of thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it really wasn't it was a pop band you know and yeah. i think there was some disappointment about that but the band you know the sound of the band really developed more when we took it on the road yeah probably yeah. because that was when Stuart and stanley started to stretch out and there were more uh you know more long improvisational sections happening you don't really hear that on the first record and that led to this, the second record being very different because once we realized that that was part of the sound, um, in other words, the, the, the songs on the first album were not written from a groove oriented perspective. Yeah. They were written from as a singer songwriter sure. and the second album were all written to grooves. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's why the second album, there's a lot of co-writing on it because yeah, yeah. that was not my thing. That makes sense. I yeah. didn't write from a groove, mm-hmm. but that's what they wanted more. And the second album we recorded, the tracks were recorded live. Yeah. It, we didn't use a fair light. We didn't wow. even use a click track. Interesting. That's really yeah. cool. That's so cool the second album has definitely more of a live feel Lit- to it. And, like there's a lot of fans of prog rock mm-hmm. uh, ended up loving the second album. Yeah. And it does have a little bit more of that kind of a vibe to it. A little looser vibe. Yeah. You know, I, <clears throat> I know that the, the band name went from rush hour to animal logic. And I, I think that was a, a miles Copeland sort of idea from what uh, we understand. Miles it. and Stewart. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, the rush hour thing was just a placeholder. Yeah. I don't think yeah. we ever thought that was going to be, uh, the name of it. Well, that first album was released in 89. And I, obviously we all refer to that as that, the Dalmatian album. And, right. <laughs> and I, su- I was surprised to learn that the album cover was actually a rejected police cover for the, that's right. For, for the, for a greatest hits compilation, right? That's right. Sting said, we're not dogs. We're not going to be dogs. And Stuart <laughs> always loved the cover and he kept it. And when they figured out, when they came up with the name Animal Logic, Stewart said, I've got the album cover. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> We're police, not dogs. <laughs> exactly. Well, I can see that. Well, the album, like you mentioned, was released you know, here in the States on IRS Records, and, and you got some promotional traction with an appearance on Late Night with David Letterman. And what was yeah. the impact of, of the appearance, and how did the album do overall? Um, the album didn't do that great, honestly, yeah, yeah. commercially or radio wise. It was it was before the advent of triple uh, A, the triple A format, adult. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Adult. Uh, adult. Yeah. Alternative adult. What am I missing? Adult album rock or something. Yeah, yeah whatever, whatever. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't really fit into any kind of a genre. We needed to tour more. And Stanley's career as a, a film composer was just taking off. And it was like, well, do I go on the road and not make any money? Or do I stay home and make $100,000 composing mm-hmm. a film score? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it didn't, it didn't do that well. And actually, um, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we had a video on MTV and, um, you know, we did, we did as much promotional stuff as we could and we did do some touring, uh, but a lot of it was uh, hindered by, 
Uh, and I, no hard feelings whatsoever. It totally makes sense. It, it wasn't taking off the way anybody thought it was going to take off. So mm-hmm. um, what was I going to say? Oh, David Letterman. So the night we were on David Letterman was the night the Berlin Wall came down. Oh, so wow. we weren't on until about three in the morning. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so hardly cow. anybody saw it. And oh. even people who had set their VCRs yeah. uh, didn't get it. They got news coverage, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that stinks. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, ironically, or not ironically, coincidentally, the night we were on Johnny Carson playing Rose Colored Glasses from the second album mm-hmm. – was the day Magic Johnson announced he had AIDS? So once again, we were yeah, oh we not on at the time. We <laughs> bad, bad, P, bad PR timing! <laughs> my God, yeah, oh, it was pretty wow. crazy. Well, you know, you mentioned Johnny Carson, and that's you were on that. Or you were on his show uh, when you yeah. released your second album in '91, right. and. Uh, you know, you stuck with the similar album cover concept, this time with three polar bears on the cover. <laughs> and, of, and right, of course, they were right. in the desert. And, of course, you had the Tonight Show appearance. And, um, you know, I, it's you know, it really seemed like things were, to me, from my perspective anyway, because I love the music, like it was all headed in the right direction. Yet, shortly after and before a tour can, uh, could form, you guys disbanded. Talk yeah. to us about why the momentum stalled. It's because what was happening with Stanley's career and the fact that it hadn't taken off more than it was supposed to. Yeah. We we needed we would have had to have gone on the road for, you know, uh, 200 days for it to take off. And, you know, I believe Stuart was willing to do that because um, he knows he knew from the police what it takes to break a band. Yeah. yeah. But that was not in Stanley's uh, idea. Uh, of what he wanted to do. And I, you know, Miles talked about getting a different bass player. And I just think that for Stewart, it just didn't seem the same if it wasn't going to contain Stanley. Uh, So, you know, we decided, I mean, that's, that's what ended up happening. Um, Yeah. It was sad. (laughs) I think (laughs) you, you should write a song called magic Johnson and the Berlin wall. Uh, okay, <laughs> that is a good title. Yeah, it is, and it could you know could be just a sort of you know sort of uh, way to talk about how the band you know how it how those two things killed the band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's just you know timing and whatever else happened, and um, I, I you know I think if we had been a band that were three unknowns. I think mm. we would have done better because it would have been the the expectations of, by critics and and fans of what the music was going to be. Yeah, you know, we've had uh, Stewart, by the way, uh, on the show a couple of times, like we said a little earlier, and um, so we we have chatted briefly about Animal Logic, but the last time we Rick um, that he was on, we actually he actually mentioned the idea of reuniting, right? He talked about it because yeah. <clears throat> I think it was like right after. Deborah, after you visited his sacred grove and did a video with him, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the the that video. Um, we got together for the first time, the three of us, and had dinner. Um, I want to. I don't even know how many years after. You know, we hadn't seen each other in in a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and had dinner and said, "Hey, why don't we do something?" And we ended up doing that song. 
Mm -hmm. uh, whipping boy. Unfortunately, that was on a hard drive of Stewart's that got corrupted. And the audio to that, it doesn't exist. And um, yeah, right before COVID, the year before I suggested we get together and do an EP. And we did get together and started it. um, But then COVID happened and we never finished it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I ended up taking those tracks and finishing them on my own. Yeah. Well, we're really happy that, you know, recently, you know, we've learned that, um, and 30 years later, of course, that, um, you know, you've released two songs that are released already. But um, are these going to be part of an album release or will you release sort of like songs uh, individually more in the EP style, the way that's sort of trending right now? Or what what are your thoughts on that? I took the tracks that we did Mm -hmm. and, and saw what I could salvage from them. And I had a couple tracks that had Stuart, but Stanley hadn't finished his bass playing. And so I took those tracks and finished them and they went on a EP that I released in 2020 again, right. The month that COVID hit, there's my great PR timing. (laughs) Um, And so Stuart actually plays drums on, um, I think three or four of those songs. I love Uh, that EP by the way. Oh, thank I've you. So, to that yeah, quite a so bit. I think Stuart plays on three, three songs. So mm-hmm. those were the other three of the five that we started. Yeah, maybe there were more than five songs. It might have been six. Yeah, because there was one other one that I released as a single called "You Need a Song" that has Stuart playing drums on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So that yeah, I just I released a couple songs as um as singles. They're not animal logic, though. You know, one has Stuart, doesn't have Stanley. Um, (laughs) The other ones have neither of them. But then I had these two that were still floating around that had Stuart and Stanley. Mm -hmm. And when I listened to them, I realized, God, you know what? These are, they're there. They just need a little bit of a few overdubs and, uh, you know, a Good mixing and mastering, and, and get them out. That's why how these two uh, ended up being Animal Logic. You know, I asked the guys, "Can I release them as Animal Logic?" And they were absolutely go for it. Good, that's great. And and you know, I want to talk about these two songs because they were released pretty recently. The the first track uh, is titled "Can You Tell Me." Uh-huh. And, you know, from the first few notes, when I popped that on, I, I knew right away that that was Howard Levy mm-hmm. on harmonica. Howard's oh, been, a, I'm a huge fan of his. We've had him on our show before. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even have to look at the credits. I just knew it was him. He's so good. Oh, wow. And yeah. you also uh, feature Patterson Barrett on Pedal Steel. And, uh-huh. you know, this tune kind of has a bossa groove to it. And it certainly yes, it has. Does. Yeah, it certainly has a different feel than previous Animal Logic tunes. So oh, yeah. Talk to us about how that song t- came together. I mean, obviously, that's that's one of your, your songs that you, you yeah. just mentioned. Well, that. I wrote it on guitar. And on guitar, uh-huh. I am playing a bossa nova part, um, which – so there's no guitar on there because then Stanley couldn't do – his thing. <laughs> so yeah. Stanley's sort of playing my guitar part and, and bass. Okay. I think okay. Stanley started to do some overdubs on this one, which again, he couldn't find. And one of the overdubs was a pedal steel sound. And so that's how I got the idea to do that. Okay. And we, I also thought a, a good chromatic harmonica solo would sound, would sound great. And I was with Stanley at the time in his studio, uh-huh. 
And he said, well, let's call Stevie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, okay. Sure. And he actually did call him, but that didn't happen. Okay. And then, of course, then COVID hit. And Animal Logic, we, somehow we met uh, Bale of Fleck and the Flecktones when we were in Nashville. Uh-huh. And became friends. So, of course, I've always known about Howard. And yeah, um, I don't know how to get a hold of Stevie Wonder, but I did know how to get a hold of, <laughs> of Howard. So, um, yeah, that's that's how that ended up happening. And Patterson's played on pretty much every solo record I've I've done. He, um, funny story, he was my high school boyfriend, <laughs> and we had our first band together. We did our first recording together. And he's a fantastic jack of all trades. He plays like, I don't know, 15 different instruments all really well. Um, so I sent the track to him to to do his magic. Mm-hmm. Still collaborating with your boyfriend there, huh? Deborah? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, Deborah, we love new music, and especially when it comes from Animal Logic. And yeah. uh, we're so glad that these songs have been released. And uh, let's go ahead, since we're talking about this track, uh, Can You Tell Me? Let's go ahead and pause for a second and play it for our audience. Again, this is the track called Can You Tell Me? from Animal Logic, and our guest today, Deborah Holland on Inside Music Cast. Good night. 
Hey, well, the second song that you've just recently released is called yeah. Ordinary. And, you know, when we heard this one, we got the feeling that for sure, you know, we the last time we had him on, we talked about uh, his Gizmodrome uh, project. Remember that? Stuart, yeah. Or Stuart, that is, you know, with um, – you know, Adrian Blue and who else was on that? Uh, Mark King? Yeah. Mark King yeah. And, yeah. and another. I'm not sure. I, yeah, yeah. I think I heard well, well, one song of theirs. I'm not sure I ever really. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. good stuff. Well, when we heard that, we, you know, the lyrical style seemed very similar to the work like he had delivered in Gizmodrome. And we're like, okay, we're going to have to find out when we talk to Deborah. Uh, tell us the story. Is, is, uh, was he a part of this track, Ordinary, or lead us through the, the creation of this? Well, Ordinary, again, it's a song that I wrote by myself. Oh, okay. Um, and and uh, it's one that we started that same time that we started all the other tracks yeah. when we were going to do an EP. Gotcha. Um, this one, my guitar part stayed in. It seemed to work with, with what the two of them played. Yeah. Um, so we kept it. And then, uh, again, sent the tracks to Patterson, and he – played lap steel uh he played mandolin which i didn't ask him to do and i thought was going to be weird but ended up loving it and some b3 parts and both of these tracks i i have to give credit to um someone i i worked on my fine thank you ep uh it's a producer who lives on another one of these little islands off of Vancouver, Bowen Island, his name is Winston Housechild. Uh-huh. And he kind of helped me put all the tracks together and then he ended up uh, mixing them. And, you know, I did my vocals at his studio and um, it was quite a bit of, <laughs> a lot of editing had to yeah. happen for these tracks to come together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the recording a little bit. Can we, I mean, we're assuming that the tracks were recorded in various locations as opposed yeah, to, were. you know, in, instead of tracking, you know. Um, yeah. So bass and drums were at Sacred Grove, were at yeah, okay. Stewart's studio. Mm-hmm. And then all of my stuff uh, were, was done, um, it's called uh, Little Island uh, with Winston Housechild on Bowen Island. Okay. And Patterson did his stuff out of his house. Howard did his stuff out of his house. Okay. You know, that's kind of how they were done. And yeah. then who, who did you have mix those? Who who mixed the uh, Winston mixed them. Okay. Yeah, he, he did the mixing. Well, Deborah, let's pause for a second and let's go ahead and treat our audience to uh, this brand new song from Animal Logic. This is the track called Ordinary from our guest today, Deborah Holland on Inside Music Cast.
Hey, Deborah, over the, over the years, while we're talking about, you know, recording and the technical aspect of, of the music creation, um, over the years, have you ever dabbled in the engineering and the mixing part of that type of thing at all? Does that interest you? Have you ever done that? Uh no. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, that's a, that's honest. Some 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 uh, some artists, you know, you know, especially during COVID, they've been sort of forced to yeah. learn all this. Right. You know? I know. Right. I know. Right. And I mean, I I used to use a digital performer. I did yeah. learn how to use that. I did a little bit of dabbling around with that. And I've got Pro Tools. I don't know. Every time yeah. I, it's like there's always there's so many people who do it so much better than I'll ever be able to do it. I, I give kudos to Wendy Waldman. Wendy's it, my uh, bandmate in the Refugees. Yeah. She actually has taken it on and uh-huh. does really well with Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's great. Uh, it would take a lot of, I mean, I even took a Pro Tools class. I could do it if I wanted it, if I wanted to, yeah. but I just don't, I, I don't yeah. like it. Yeah. I like, I love writing songs. I love being in the studio I like to, once my songs are written, I like a collaborative process. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit in my studio by myself and, yeah. and do it. You know, I love working with other musicians and I love working with a good producer right. and a good engineer. You know, I, yeah. I, that's just, it's a much healthier way and more interesting way for me to work. I mean, songwriting is a solo effort. You know, I, I want to, work with other people i don't even like performing by myself which i have to do a lot i like performing with other people i Mm -hmm. like singing with other people yeah so um yeah talking about pro tools or any sort of digital workstation that you know you you use um or you want to use it's it it's not one of those things where you just go to it every once in a while it's it to really become proficient you have to use it you know, every day That's right. and it becomes, because I've been using Pro Tools for close to 30 years and I, uh-huh. and I just, you know, it's like, I don't, if I had to switch to another workstation, I could figure it out, but it's like, it's, it's just so seamless to me now. And it's like That's any, it's, it's like anything you do, you know, yeah. but so I can understand why you wouldn't want to just learn it and dabble mm-hmm. in it and because you'll never become proficient at it if you don't yeah. use it all the time. So I get that. Yeah, you know, exactly. I totally understand it. I mean, Maybe someday I will. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Certainly. I mean, for now, I mean, I'm happy to just write songs. I mean, that's what I love to do. Yeah, yeah. I love recording songs. I love being in the studio. Right. Um, I love playing and singing with other people. I mean, that's why I like my band, The Refugees, so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We do all that three-part harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, well, just a couple of seconds yeah. ago, a couple of seconds ago, you, you mentioned um, collaboration and wanting to work with other people and not so isolated, but... Let me ask you this: uh, Are are there any other guests or collaborators who you know who have um, you know that you would ever like to um, collaborate with? Probably, my list would be. It would be easier for me to say who I wouldn't want to collaborate with. Of course, I'd want to collaborate with any of those. You know, <laughs> yeah, with yeah. anyone. I, I you know, but um, and no one's asked me lately. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd ask. I'd ask you, but I, I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't turn down anything like that. Yeah, no, that's. You know, I, I'd be thrilled, but yeah. um, that those opportunities haven't shown up. Well, staying on that same topic, you know, obviously you've released these first two songs, um, and I don't. I honestly don't know if you have more to come or if it's just going to be those two for the moment. But well, no, they're. I mean, this is it. 
It's these two songs. It's just these two songs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't think there's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. If I was going to do any work with either one of them, I I don't think it would be as Animal Logic. Okay. Uh, just because the two of them, their schedules are. I mean, Stewart's got. Yeah. Um, he's committed like years into the future for, you know, the opera and the symphony, the symphonic mm-hmm. things that he's doing, and right. Um. You know, I had an, I mean, you never know. You yeah. know, I, I don't want to say absolutely not. Sure. Uh, my idea, if we ever were going to do something again, is to not write the songs ahead of time, to just have lyrics mm-hmm. and for the three of us to write the songs together. Yeah. I think the two of them are kind of over having to learn someone else's songs. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think that's so much fun for either one of them. And I get it. I, you know, um, why would they? But anyway, that would be my idea for, um, I, I think it would be very exciting and interesting and probably a lot more experimental <laughs> yeah. if we did that. But right. I, I don't know if that will happen. Well, you, with that, you sort of dashed my next question, and that was going to be if, if you know, uh, with the excitement of these two songs that have come out, especially for Animal Logic fans, I've never had a chance. I never, you know, back in the day, I didn't have a chance to, to see a live performance. So yeah. I'm assuming that's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, no. And there, there weren't that many live performances even yeah. when we were together. <laughs> that's true. You know, there wasn't a lot of touring. I had an idea of of of, of having Sam Bush play with us. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. That's interesting. I don't know if you know who oh, he yeah, is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, mandolin and fiddle. Yeah. And I thought he would be a great uh, third person instead of having a guitarist. I yeah. thought he would be great. Yeah. And that was my, that's my fantasy anyway. Yeah. Is <laughs> the nice. two of them and Sam Bush. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, I know we've focused much of this interview on Animal Logic, but I wanted to congratulate you on your your solo uh, 2020 oh, EP you. that we talked about earlier called Fine Thank You. And yes. I've, yeah. I've listened to this one, you know, so many times and just it's just really great from start to finish. And I, I especially dig the track The Sun Is Out. And, oh. uh, I, and I know, you know, but uh, talk to us about how this this album or this this uh, or what your focus was on this EP. Well, uh, it was taking what I could salvage from the Animal Logic, the, the sessions that we did. Uh-huh. Um, the Sun is Out, that's Stuart playing drums. That's what I thought. It sounds like um, him. Yeah. yeah. And so all those those tracks, that's what I, I – I salvaged what I could from what we did, and then I threw in a few more new songs. Yeah. Um, I'd have to look at the – I'm trying to remember. Fine, thank you, and uh-huh. – Will I Ever Be Loved? Those were new songs. And uh, the, the Happy Birthday song was new. I think those were songs that I had, you know, that I wrote just prior to COVID. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't know what more to say about that, but those are tracks that I did with Winston at his studio. Yeah. Well, very cool. Well, what's what's next for you? I mean, what do you have coming up? What what does uh, 2023 hold for you in terms of 2023 is going to be a lot of the refugees. We okay. are just finishing up an album that's amazing. I'm not allowed to say what it is cuz it's it, I only thing I'll say is it's cover tunes. Okay, okay. And we've got some gigs in January in the LA area, then in February we're playing in Kansas of all places. 
Um, and then in the summer, we're going to be doing some festivals and so lots of, lots of refugee stuff. And then I'm, I do a lot of solo stuff where I live, you know, in Vancouver uh -huh. and, uh, the surrounding areas. And, you know, I do do some collaborating with people who live around here. I, I do some shows where we do kind of in the rounds and we play and sing on each other's, uh, material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do do quite a bit of that and I've got about maybe eight new songs. So I'm at some point I'll probably go back in the studio and make a record, but it may be a very stripped down record. It might just be, um, you know, guitar and voice and piano and voice. Okay. I'm not sure. Yes. I did a lot of work on fine. Thank you. And the singles that I released, I released three singles. One's called my regrets Mm -hmm. One is When You Were Young, and the other one is You Need a Song. Mm -hmm. And I've been working a lot with a string, with a violinist who's a string arranger named Adrian Dolan. He he did all the strings on Fine Thank You, and I love working with him. I yeah. love having strings on my, on my music. I yeah. think it, it works, it complements it really well. And even the song Fine Thank You, I ended up doing, it's only a string quartet. Real There's strings. There's no other instruments. Real strings. Real strings. Real strings. <laughs> no no yeah. fair light strings here. This is real strings. This is a real, real McCoy strings. here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. Isn't it funny, though, how you collaborate with those the musicians that you're talking about and, and how inspiring just even the, the simple sounds that they're creating. Uh, we're like, uh, it must give you so many ideas, you know, for new things. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, so I know lots of refugee stuff and probably a bit of solo stuff. Well, that's awesome. Well, we're going to keep yeah. our, yeah, we'll keep in touch with you and we'll certainly inform our audience about what you're up to and, and as, as things start to pop out. So we'll, we'll great. You know. Wonderful. Absolutely. Well, Deborah, this has been a lot of fun. I've I've wanted to talk to you for a long time because I'm like I said I obviously the majority of this talk was about animal logic, but that's I've been sitting here. You could have called me anytime. <laughs> she's in the she's there in the peninsula waiting. <laughs> I was oh, you know what? Talking about Vancouver, I think you're our second uh guest from Vancouver, Robbie Buchanan. I Robbie think, Buchanan, yes, he's there. He lives up there. Sure it is. Yeah. He does? Yeah. 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 He's, he lives in Vancouver? I'm pretty he sure, sure he does. does. He yeah. sure does. Huh. I'll have to introduce you to him. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Uh, nice guy. Interesting. I didn't know he lived here. Yep. Yep. Well, cool. Well, Deborah, thanks so much. Thank um, you. We appreciate this. And, and uh, for everybody who is uh, interested in checking out those Animal Logic tunes that have just come out, um, you know, they're on Spotify, Apple Music. You can download them on Bandcamp uh, and, yep. and all the usual outlets, I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah, this was great. You asked very intelligent questions and it was fun. I, I hope I, I, I'm not sure I always gave you the answer you were looking for. Well, but. the good thing about it is that your answers are the right answers. So we, okay. we got what all we right. need. You know? <laughs> well, all thank right. you. Thanks, much. you guys. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Special thanks to Deborah Holland for joining us on this episode of Inside MusicCast. We also want to thank our Inside MusicCast correspondents for their support and dedication, including Brian Pearson in Chicago, Kim Riley in South Florida, Scott Gross in Tampa, Mikhail Ingstrom in Stockholm, Scott Sheriff in Nashville, Don Brightup in Los Angeles, Loretta Sassaman in Seattle. Yinka Oyelese in New Jersey, and Arnaud Legere in Paris. Now you can show your support for Inside MusicCast by making a donation at InsideMusicCast.com. 
Your donation will help us to continue producing future episodes of Inside Music Cast and keep Inside Music Cast radio streaming 24-7. You can also receive special Inside Music Cast merch, such as t-shirts, masks, stickers, and coasters for your support at various levels. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thank you for your support of Inside Music Cast. <laughs>